to take responsibility, not just for their own lives, but also for their community. And that's not something that we like to talk about in 21st century America, because we live in maybe the most individualistic culture that has ever lived. We have the primacy of the individual. That's what sociologists will tell you about our culture, that the rights of the individual will always trump the rights of society. There's no I in team. This is a popular sports motivational quote, and as corny as it is, it's very true. In fact, as Pastor Daniel shares today, God wanted the Israelites to not only take responsibility for themselves, but for their communities as well. This is hard for us to understand because we live in such an individualistic culture where self always takes precedence. But God wants his followers to relate to people around them in a different way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 21 as he begins his message, Family Dynamics. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21 as we continue our study here through the Bible, through the Torah, the first five books, or the Pentateuch, depending on if you're speaking in Hebrew or Greek, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of your Bible. Now, what I love about the fact that we're in Deuteronomy 21 is I realize that for most people who try and read through the Bible in a year or from cover to cover, most people never make it to Deuteronomy 21. They throw in the towel somewhere at the end of the book of Exodus, and then they skip ahead. So I realize I'm touching fresh territory for you. We call this series Blueprints because Moses is retelling the law to a generation who was young when they first received it, and now they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses is about to go home to be with the Lord. His earthly ministry is almost done. And so he wants to make sure that this emerging generation understands who God is and what God's heart is. And so in a lot of ways, God's law gives blueprints for life. Now, there's a couple of things you need to remember is that first, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it, which means that Jesus in his life and his ministry and his death and resurrection, he fulfills the, not only the letter of the law, but the motivations and the intentions of the law. So our relationship to the law is different because of our faith in Jesus. The apostle Paul continually reminds us that all of us fall short when it comes to the law. That sometimes we try and fulfill it and we don't. Other times we don't even realize that we're not fulfilling it. And that's why Jesus died. And that's why he rose again for us. Now at the same time, oftentimes when people study the Old Testament and specifically the law of Moses, we read backwards and we read where we are today and we look at this and we say, Oh, that's archaic, or that's... This. But you have to realize that at the time that these laws are being given, they're existing in a savage society. Nothing even remotely like what we live in today. And so these laws were one of a kind in Near Eastern 
understanding and ethics. People didn't know this kind of stuff. And the wisdom that is contained within these things in that culture was completely paradigm shifting. And what's amazing is, is as we've been studying it through it, people keep saying to me, it's amazing how much of the laws of our culture are actually taken right out of this. So even though it's ancient writings, it was necessary for the way God wanted to order the society. Now, I have a confession to make that in Deuteronomy 21, we're going to take almost the entire chapter today. It's kind of like one of those weird sections in the Bible, like where if I was going to do a topical series, I was going to pick and choose text. I'm definitely not choosing Deuteronomy 21 for anything. It's one of those sets of verses and concepts that left up to my own devices. It's not really something that you're like, kind of like, really? Like, you know, so I put that out there up front because it was really fun for me as a student of the word and as a a follower of Jesus to kind of dig into this stuff and kind of think through why this stuff is here and how it relates. And so without further ado, Deuteronomy chapter 21 says in verse one, if anyone is found slain lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and which is not plowed with a yoke. The elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to the valley with flowing water which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. By their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer, whose neck was broken in the valley. Then they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Verse eight, provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. I told you, kind of a weird little section, right? So what this deals with, you realize in verse one that this is what to do in the case of an unsolved murder. So somebody is found to be murdered, right? They're lying in a field. And this is something that once the children of Israel land in the promised land, right? They find someone who is dead in the field, right? And nobody knows who did it, right? So someone is found dead. What should they do? First in verse two, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance, verse two, from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man. So what it is, is if you find in their culture, if someone was found deceased in a field, then the elders and the judges, the people who were the, the, the decision makers for the city, they would figure out which town is the nearest town. And whichever one is the nearest town, they would take responsibility 
for what we could call an atonement ritual, right? Now that word atonement, if you think about the word, I know it's like a big, that's a Bible word if you ever heard one, atonement. You don't hear it anywhere else. It's at one mint. So if you think about it, the idea of atonement is something that has been separated, being brought back together, being brought at one mint together again. So what it is is, first it steps is who is gonna take responsibility for standing in the gap for this unsolved murder. And it lands with the people who are the closest. Now, it says that the elders of that city, they would take a heifer, right, which had not worked, which had not pulled with a yoke, and they shall bring the heifer into a valley with flowing water, which has not been plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. So in a sense, what God is doing is he's saying, when there's been a murder, when innocent blood has been shed and we don't know who to hold responsible for it, God will accept a substitute. And that substitute in this case is a heifer who's never worked, who's never been yoked, and never, it's a young one. And the idea is it's almost a perfect one. And you go to an area that has not been worked, that has not been sown, right? And there the elders, they're taking the life of the heifer because in God's economy, when innocent blood is shed, there needs to be just recompense for that innocent blood that was shed. And it's interesting that it's whoever's the closest. Now, look at what it says in verse five. I'm gonna explain all, and then I wanna apply it. And I think it's an interesting way that I think that this applies very personally to us. In verse five, it says, then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of the cities nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And then they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people whom you have redeemed." So the idea is for the elders who perform this ritual of breaking the neck of the heifer, they get their hands washed over the heifer. And what they're saying is that we didn't do this, but we are providing the atonement for whoever did. Now, what's really powerful about this is a number of things. One, I love the reality that God asks people to take responsibility, not just for their own lives, but also for their community. And that's not something that we like to talk about in 21st century America because we live in maybe the most individualistic culture that has ever lived. We have the primacy of the individual. That's what sociologists will tell you about our culture. That the rights of the individual will always trump the rights of society. And each one of us, because we've been raised in this culture, we don't even think too much about it, but you are apt and enculturated to think that it's always about me above we, right? But the Bible doesn't actually give you that. That's a cultural thing that's not a biblical thing. And for us as followers of Jesus, we have to be careful because in the cultures that we're growing up in, we're so used to being this way, the Bible wants to actually cut the knees out from under that part of our personalities. That the Bible says that we is even more important than me. And we know that because Jesus came and he died for us. Jesus sacrificed himself for us, for the joy that was set before him. So 
the elders of the city who's nearest to this body, they take responsibility for what's going on. And they are responsible for it. I think what's also beautiful, of course, is that God accepts a, a substitute. And I love that because isn't that the foundation of the cross of Jesus Christ? That God accepted Jesus' death in place of our own. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't that Jesus is a great teacher, although he was. The gospel isn't that Jesus was an amazing prophet, and he was. The gospel is that God accepts Jesus' death in place of my death for the sins that I've committed. And the beauty is, because people, I was just talking to someone recently, like, well, you know, this whole, like, God forgives my sins by Jesus. I mean, that's like an archaic reality. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, think if someone does you wrong, you expect them to come and make it right. Maybe they have to come and say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, the beauty is, is that that's exactly what God, in order for a broken relationship to be brought back together, somebody has to bring an offering to fix that. And God's plan is that we turn and say, Lord, we got it wrong. And God's like, you're right, you got it wrong. But I sent Jesus to die in your place. And so God accepts the substitute. Now, the thing is, for someone who says, well, I don't really want Jesus to be my substitute. Well, then you're going to be responsible for your own mistakes. And what I'm here to tell you is the Bible calls that you ending up in hell. It's a sharp way to say it, but it is the truth nonetheless. If you will not allow Jesus to be your substitute, then you're going to receive that punishment. And not because God is just mean. It's because God is just. God being just, it's part of God's perfection. See, the idea of justice is you get what you deserve. That's how justice works, right? And God and part of his perfections is just the right punishment for the crime committed. And so God accepts Jesus in our place, which brings us great joy. Now, I think what's also fascinating here, verse five kind of jumps out at us. And it should, because it says, then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. Now, what I love about this is in Moses' time, it was the Levites, the descendants of the tribe of Levi. But you know that in Christ, we're all priests. It's what it says in Peter's epistles, a number of places, that we're a kingdom of priests. And if you want to know your job description as a child of God, You get it right here in verse five. Look at what it says. This is your job description. You might want to underline it in your neighbor's Bible. (laughs) For the Lord your God has chosen you to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. Now, I love this because we see this this radical two-directional way that we live. We are here to minister to him, to God. So our job is to serve the Lord. That's what that word minister means. Minister is a job description. It means a servant. So our job is to serve the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, we bless others in the name of the Lord. Now, what I want to tell you is for too many of us, what we make the mistake of is we try and bless others without serving the Lord. You try and do things just on the horizontal level. You know what happens when you do that? You get real frustrated real quick. You know why? Because you're trying to bless somebody and they're not giving you the response that you want them to. They're not saying, oh, that's so kind of you. Some of you wives know what that's like with your husband. You kind of decide you're going to turn over a new spiritual leaf and you're just going to bless that guy. 
You know, and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to make him his favorite food. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to do everything. And then after like two days, you're like, man, forget that. He don't deserve that. Like I'm bending over backwards trying to bust that guy. He's such a numbskull. Like, you know, like he doesn't, you know, forget that. That's what happens when you try and serve people without serving the Lord first. Because what happens is, is you do it. And really what you're hoping for is you're hoping for a response in kind. But the Bible doesn't teach, I do for you so that you will do for me. The Bible teaches is, I serve the Lord, and I live proactively with other people, and it actually doesn't matter what they do because I'm serving the Lord. I serve God, and my spouse gets the benefit. I serve the Lord, and my community gets the benefit. I serve Jesus, and unreached people groups get the benefit. But what happens is, is sometimes we make the mistake of saying, I'm just going to try and bless people but you're not doing it as an act of service. Now, I want to talk to those of you who've been in church for a really long time. Because what happens for people inside the church is often you so get so focused on ministering to the Lord that you forget that you're supposed to bless other people too. And what happens is, is that's when you have the deformity of churchianity begins to set in. Where it's like every time church is open, you're here and you're ready to worship. But every time there's a need to help someone, you're like, no, I got I to praise God. And you use praise. <laughs> Someone's giggling. It's like you got to praise God. Like you use praise God as an excuse never to roll up your sleeves and be a servant and help other people. And what's interesting is that is equally an adventure in missing the point. See, this is our job description. We minister to the Lord. Everything we do, we're like, Lord, I do that for your glory. I do my job for your glory, and my boss gets the benefit. I do my schoolwork for your glory, and my parents get excited, and they get me presents when they get my report card. And, like, and I do everything for you, Lord, and then other people get the benefit. And then you're like, as I'm serving you, Lord's like, okay, because you're serving me, I want you to bless everyone you come in contact with. He's like, all right, Lord, we're going to do that. And it's both upward and outward. And the reason we can live upward and outward is because God has chosen us, and that's what he's done inward. And we talk about that a lot here, right? We live upward, inward, and outward, right? We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we love our neighbors as we are loved by God and we love ourselves. We're upward, inward, and outward all the time. And it's right there beautifully in verse 5. That's our job description. I want you to think about that. What does it mean for you to minister to the Lord? See, God is the recipient of our service. And as God is the recipient of our service, then other people get blessed in his name. Now, as we move on from there, I think verse 8 and 9 is just amazing because it says, they're saying, provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood, so you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So the idea here is that people take responsibility for their community and they, in a sense, stand in the gap for the wrongs that other people have committed. Because what they're saying is, is Lord, something was wrong. And even though I didn't do it, I feel a community responsibility to stand in the gap for it because, Lord, we want to do what's right in your sight. Now, I would just want to encourage you because in a lot of ways, the elders of the nearest city function as intercessors for whoever the person was who actually perpetrated the crime. And my friends, listen, 
We live in a day and age where our world has gotten so increasingly perplexing that people don't know what to do. And I think this text teaches us that our job in a confusing world is to be an intercessor, where we are willing to stand in the gap and minister to God and bless others, not for necessarily things that we're doing, but things that our communities are doing that are wrong. And we're saying, Lord, we want to stand in the gap rather than just getting bitter at looking at what's going on in our world. See, it's a much more proactive approach to how do we deal with the ills of the society that we live in. Does it make sense? These elders, they're standing in the gap and they are seeking God's blessing. Provide atonement, Lord. Lord, we want to put away that innocent blood that's been shed from the land. See, they realize that innocent blood defiles their land. And I think for us, we don't think about it that way. We don't realize that the innocent blood that is shed in our land defiles our land too. And we need to learn as followers of Jesus to stand in the gap for the mistakes, the failings, the rebellion of our society. Does that make sense? And I realize when you start talking about intercession, people are like, whoa, that's kind of like, whoa, what's what's going on with this? You know, what do we do? And the idea is that we see ourselves as God's vehicle to bring blessing into a world that maybe isn't prepared for blessing. And it's one of the things that we can do as the people of God. Now, moving on to the next little reality here. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would like to take her for your wife, then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails and she shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house and mourn her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband and she shall be your wife. And it shall be, if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free. But you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally because you have humbled her. Now, again, ever hear a Sunday morning topical series on this text? You know why? Because those pastors are smart. Jesus is There's a lot of messed up stuff that happens in our world today. But what can you do about it? What difference can you make? Today, Pastor Daniel shared that God wants his people to be intercessors for their communities. As you stand in the gap for people, you'll have the privilege of being a conduit of blessing for them and the community as a whole. Just as the broken things affect everyone, blessings also have a ripple effect. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. 
You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue in this series all about the blueprints for life that God gave to the Israelites. You'll see that in a world that viewed women as property, God saw them as a valuable people. Pastor Daniel will share that God made provision for women who were taken into captivity during war. He wanted to protect them and allow them the space and dignity to transition into their new families and communities. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Blueprints. Until then, may God bless.